بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم Brothers and sisters we are now in this session looking at الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم building what is in this course to be the final block but that doesn't necessarily mean that this was the entire block or the entire block in the process of building that huge building called Young Companions. Of course, everything has to come to an end, and this is the end. If you wanted to continue, you can say, how did Rasulullah build the block of the bodies of the children? Sport, and all sorts of things. I left that out. I left also building the health of children. I left it out. You might hate me for that. I left out building the mind of the child. I left it out. Everything must come to an end. We needed eight CDs, so we are building six or seven blocks, and our final session will be on the children when they grow up. And who knows, maybe in the future will be people that will be coming and talking to you about other blocks. So now I'm going to talk about the final block which is building and developing the social dimension in the character of the child. How do you bring someone who is sociable and how do you develop this social character in him or her? Why did I leave this at the end? Because this is where now the society will see of this entire process that has been taking place inside the household. The society will see the manifestation of aqidah, will see the manifestation of ibadah, will see the manifestation of the emotion in its interaction with the children. So it happens, unfortunately, that society witnesses the results of child development through a bomb or the result of the child's development through an invention or through a success story or through a criminal story, it is the society that will constitute the final audience to the entire performance that was played and was taken place by the parents for the last 10 or 15 years. And that's why I wanted to see how did Rasulullah build that child that is now functioning outside the house. And that's why in a lot of the incidents that I'm going now to narrate, they are taking place outside the house. There is no child knocking the door to seek permission. The sexual desires, if you remember, were all taking place inside. But the social dimension now, the social from society, is taking place outside the household. So you can see that we are moving with the children inside the house, outside the house, and taking photographs from all kinds of angles and directions. Now, how am I going again to tackle this issue? This issue is very wide, and by no means this is an exhaustive attempt to talk about the social dimension. I'm going to talk and focus on what I think are significant points, three points that, to my mind, constituted the framework of how Rasul functioned with children in building their social dimension. I just want to say one thing. There are bits and pieces in what I'm saying that reflect my own sentiments, my own ijtihad. 
So the very titles, the manufacture and developing associable personality. This is my own ijtihad. Number two, I'm leaving a gap that you have to take and fill your own ijtihad. You might read all these hadiths in a new way and put your own titles. I don't care. As long as we share and standardize the events and the incidents. You know the hadith? Yes, I know. What do you understand from this hadith? As far as you are a sound person and reasonable person, that is not my problem. The problem is that when you are confused, because you are ignorant. Not because you know, but you have a different interpretation. So please allow me to be free in doing my own interpretation, bearing in mind that I am not by no means enforcing or coercing you to believe in my interpretation. And I should have said this again at the outset of this course, but I am saying it now. So, what is my interpretation of these three frameworks? One is that Rasulullah wanted to create a sociable character. Because Islam is a religion that is not to be kept isolated. If you want to use a Western expression, it's a missionary religion. Missionary means they, that you interact with society. That you talk to society. That you have to engage with society. This hadith that I think should be the title of any talk on a sociable character, I think should be learned by all of us. This hadith which says, Rasulullah says, that who mixes with people and who tolerates their harm is better than that. Who does not mix with society, neither does he tolerate society. That is what Islam does not want. You are a non-Muslim, fine. But I will interact with you. I will say good morning. I will say good afternoon. I will say thank you. That is what Islam is building. This is the ethos. This is the general framework that we have to mix. Now, how did Rasulullah then go about fulfilling that ethos, fulfilling that framework, that theme, that issue of getting the children and encouraging the children to get outside the house to interact with people? The first thing, which is symbolic, and we come across it a lot, and nowadays in the BBC and in the CNN, Islam is the religion of peace, which is rightly so, because you say, Assalamu alaikum. And you say, peace be upon you. So you begin by talking and connecting with society at the outset through the salam and through shaking the hands, al-musafaha. And that's why the Sahaba used to immediately when they see each other, shake the hands of each other. And you might not imagine that, but they used to say salam to each other and walk with each other. And when a tree separates them from each other and they meet again, they say salamu alaikum. I missed you. I haven't seen you for the last two seconds. And this tree could be a car, this tree could be whatever. It's just a physical barrier. So imagine you have a, a son that have never spoken to his father, have never spoken to his mother, even with the present technology. You see, brothers and sisters, there's something that is very fascinating here. Those companions are saying salamu alaykum to each other, even at the lack of technology and in the presence of physical barriers. Now we are living 
at a time where there are no physical barriers between us. Through borders, through planes, through mobiles, through the internet. Yet we are apart. Here, between a tree, they say, Salam alaikum. Here, the phone is available, mobile, 200 minutes free text messages. And no one says, Salamu alaikum. I just call to say, I love you. No one says that except to his beloved whatever. No one connects. Yes, BT wants you to connect to pay the bill at the end of the month. But Islam wants you to connect. Because if you connect well, you might connect well in Jannah. There is no bill at the end of the connection. So how to instigate, how to encourage that with Assalamu alaikum. Anas ibn Malik, and this hadith again is one of the famous hadith and is said in many narrations. That Rasul came while I was playing with children. I'm imagining always Rasul coming and walking and passing by children who are busy in the midst of playing. And imagining children, when they like play football, they are sweating. They are shouting at each other. They are laughing at each other. They are interacting with each other. In the midst of all that, Rasul says salam. When you say salam to your child who is watching Sesame Street, do you say to him salam or you are worried that you might disturb him seeing Sesame Street? Or the opposite. Do you want your children to come and say salam or you say go and see your mother, leave me alone? What I'm trying to say is that whatever the context, even if it was a context of busyness and engagement, like a referee whistles for the football game to stop, and Rasulullah wants those children to stop just to say, وَعَلَيْكُمْ السَّلَامُ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ This is a very significant moment that you need when you read this hadith, which is just one line, you need to freeze and think. You need to freeze this moment and think about it. Think about another thing in that moment. Who is beginning the salam? We are taught that it's always the younger who begins the salam to the older. But Rasul here is the trainer. And you have to set a precedence as a trainer. There is no ego here. There is no arrogance here. There is no, what is your date of birth first before I begin or you begin to say salam. No, no, I am training you. And that's why, brothers and sisters, and you might be shocked to know that, Anas ibn Malik, who as I said and repeated it, and will say it again, died at the age of 103. Even at that age, he would go and walk in the street and see children playing the same way that they would play when he was young, hundred years ago, a century ago, and say to the children, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And when he was asked, why do you do it? He would say, Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaf'aluh. A hundred years ago, Rasulullah used to do it. And I'm doing it because he used to do it. This is fascinating. This is how these children internalize these values. This is in the midst of them playing and witnessing Rasulullah saying salam. He said to himself, this child Anas, he said, inshallah, when I become an adult, when I become hundred years old, I will say salam to the children. Because Rasulullah said it.
the inheritance, inheriting the values. It's passing through generations. And At-Tirmidhi, in a, another hadith, talking about salam again, and teaching that human being to be sociable. At-Tirmidhi, in the book of Tirmidhi, narrates this, this hadith that is narrated by Anas ibn Malik again. He said, Rasul said to me, look at how the murabbi now speaks to the children. Ya bunay, idha dakhalta ala ahlik, when you go home, enter the household, fasallim. Yakun barakatan alayk wa ala ahli baytik. Who is he speaking to? He is speaking to a child who works with who? With Rasul So when you go to your family, who is the family? It's me, Rasulullah But that is not the point. The point is that this hadith is for Anas and for anyone else other than Anas. He is advising Anas on things that might not be applicable. He might have said to him, when you come home, Anas, say salam to your prophet. He could have said that, but he said it in the abstract because he knows that every word that he utters is a hadith, is a rule, is a qaida that is applicable to each child. So when you go home, don't say when is lunch. I need to drink something. Say, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa Not all right, mate. Assalamu alaykum and then all right, mate. But say Assalamu alaykum at the beginning. This is important to begin that relationship with peace, with salam. Then in that item of creating a sociable personality is the item related to social visits. And Rasulullah was not sitting at his house waiting for the people to visit. No, he is actually approaching people. And he would visit anyone. And the hadith says, he would not turn down any invitation, even if the invitation was on dinner that is composed of oil and bread. Imagine, brothers, imagine I invite you and say, I have prepared for you today pita bread and olive oil. What do you think? You will put the olive oil on my head and hit me with the pita and leave. The kebab and the chicken tandoori and, and, and is an expectation when you are invited for a dinner. Expect, mutual expectation. You expect it of me and I will fulfill it for you out of pride and showing you that my wife is a good cook while I bought it from the tandoori shop. What Rasulullah is trying to say is that, oh people, don't think that the unavailability of food should constitute a social impediment towards you inviting me because I will come and visit you despite and irrespective of what you have at home. This is the message. I want to meet you. I want to see you even if we were separated by a tree. But this is not the point of today's course. The point is that Rasulullah sometimes visit while children are with him. This is the point. Again, he's teaching them to be sociable. He's teaching them to visit people. Do you remember the hadith that I mentioned in the previous session where Rasulullah, oh, this is a very difficult uh, hadith, pumpkin. Do you remember the pumpkin? Who was with him? Who began falling in love with pumpkin? Because of him, it was Anas. That means Anas was with him, visiting a young tailor. Now the same incident is happening. Think about this hadith that me and you know, which is famous, and I've already mentioned it in the last session, about Rasulullah visiting one of his servants. That is a Jew. 
Did Rasulullah have Jewish servants? Yes. He employed Jewish servants. A servant at the house who is a Jew, who does not join the jama'ah prayer in the house. He's not a Muslim. That's it. And who is with him? In fact, let me go back a little bit. This hadith, where Rasulullah goes to visit this boy, narrated by who? This is in Bukhari, narrated by who? Anas, again, you, you, you guessed it. Who else is walking with the Prophet ﷺ with him all the time? Anas ibn Malik is the one that narrates this hadith. That means what? It means he was with him. Because this hadith is a mute hadith, meaning that Rasulullah is not talking in it. The comments or the description of hadith is by Anas, which means that he was with him. كان غلام يهودي يخدم النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فمرض. There was a Jewish servant that used to serve Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم and he became ill. Actually, are you fascinated by something? That we have two servants who are young? That we have two servants who are serving the same master? Do you think that these servants know each other? I tend to think yes, for sure. If he is serving the Prophet, this Jew, at the same time that Anas was serving the Prophet. So we have a Jewish servant and a Muslim servant. And think about the future relationship between these two servants when one of them, i.e. the Jew, converts to Islam. Won't they become then good buddies? Anyway, this is something else. But let's focus on the hadith itself and see that Rasulullah entered into the house of that Jewish boy and asked him to become a Muslim. And he became a Muslim. And you know the story or you know the hadith. Alhamdulillah, الذي أنقذه من النار. The same expression that was said about that boy that could not say La ilaha illallah, despite the fact that he was a Muslim and was praying. Now, all in all, what is Anas learning here? He's learning the importance of visiting, but he's learning something else. He's learning the sunnah of visiting the ill. When you visit the ill, be brief. Don't sit with him. I remember when, when we were young and we, we used to visit my father at, in hospital, we used to eat the food of my father in the hospital. The hospital brings the food and he would be hungry, but we were young and he would not say, this is my food, and we would eat the food and go home and eat more food. No, you don't eat the food of the patient. You stay briefly, not for three hours, to watch TV with him in the hospital. And you try to... Speak things that are soft on his heart. May Allah reward you. Insha'Allah you will... Uh, this is reward from Allah. Allah, insha'Allah, will uh, forgive all your sins with this. Uh, don't say this is... Because you are a sinner, Allah have got you to, to this, and you will, insha'Allah, never... You will get out from this hospital to the graveyard. No, no. So, and be brief. Two, three minutes, and chocolate, and present, and... Uh, and that's it, and go. Who taught you this? Who taught you this? Rasulullah through Anas. Now, there is another thing. It is not only that. It is that you can visit non-Muslims in their households. There is another item that constitutes this process of developing the social character, and that is for the child to sleep or to spend the night outside his house in a decent Household. There is nothing wrong with them sleeping outside, but not with a serial killer or a rapist. 
or with someone who's taking drugs, or with someone who smokes, or with someone that you are not happy with his character and morals. But the principle of sleeping outside the house could turn to be a social endeavor. And Abdullah ibn Abbas, or if you want, let me just say this hadith first, and then we will look at it from this sociable dimension. It is in the book of Bukhari where Abdullah ibn Abbas and I mentioned this hadith in the session. Do you remember when I said to you that Abdullah ibn Abbas spent the night with his maternal aunt, who is his khala, Maymuna bint al-Harith, who is the wife of Rasulullah He said, I spent the night in her house. Or if you want, he spent the night in the house of Rasulullah And when I slept the night, I saw Rasulullah asking about me, did Abdullah sleep? or the ghulayn, or the ghulam, did he go to bed? She said yes, and then he went and made ablution and prayed. It is only because Abdullah ibn Abbas was sleeping outside his house, and in the house of the Prophet, وسلم, that we noticed and realized and knew that at that moment, Rasulullah woke up, made ablution, and made tahajjud. Maymuna would not have reported this hadith. We needed a child. Not only a child to witness, but a child to participate. Because when he participated, he stood on the left side of Rasulullah Then Rasulullah took him while he was praying and turned him to the right side. It is because of Abdullah ibn Abbas that we know that in congregation, if you are two, you stand next to the right. This is all because it happens that Abdullah ibn Abbas spent the night outside his house. That's why I'm saying this could be an exploring experience. If you are hanging around with the right company, if you are hanging around with amazing people, you will witness amazing things. But you will also learn to be away from your mother, away from your father. So you'll, when you go to the nursery, you will not cry. When someone says, your aunt or your uncle says, come with me, you will not cry. It's not that you don't want to be grateful to your mother, but you need to notice that your society is bigger than your father and mother. Another item is to build self-confidence and self-esteem in the character of the child through encouraging him to interact with society, make mistakes, but nevertheless interact with society. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu was, and this hadith is in Bukhari, he narrates this hadith, Abdullah ibn Umar, he said, once Ar Rasulullah quizzed us, which shows that Ar Rasulullah sometimes quizzes and asks questions to make people think, rather than just state the hadith, do this, do that, he quizzes first. He says, There is a tree, strong trunk, strong plant, and it is like this tree is like the Muslim. What is it? And no one knew, except that young boy, Abdullah ibn Umar, who was the son of Umar al-Khattab. And at that moment, Umar al-Khattab, his father was in the meeting, Abu Bakr Siddiq was in the meeting, and Rasulullah is asking the question. No one knew. Now they left the circle, and Rasulullah said, you, no one knew, it's the Nakhla, it's the Lot tree. And on the way, after the circle, Abdullah ibn Umar says to the father, and look at when the son befriends the father. He said, oh father, do you know something? I knew that it was the low tree. 
And Abdullah, Umar al-Khattab said, and why didn't you speak? He said, oh my father, and look at the decency and the respect. He said, oh my father, I was embarrassed when I looked at you and you were quiet. And when I looked at Abu Bakr and he was quiet. So who am I to speak? Subhanallah, Umar and Abu Bakr were great even at their time and they were recognized to be great even by their own sons and daughters. And when they speak, no one could speak after them or before them. But Umar said to him as a father now, instilling confidence in the mind of his son, he said, Wallahi, my son, if you said it, that would have been to me better than this dunya and all that is in it. Because it shows that the son is like his father, intelligent. But it's not about the son or the father. It's not about that I want you to pass your A-level so that they say that the father is, or become a hafiz so that they say the father is so-and-so. No, no. It's a principle that Umar ibn al-Khattab applied it with other children. Ibn al-Mubarak in his book, Az-Zuhd, and Ibn Jarir, and Ibn Abi Hatim, and Al-Hakim in his Mustadrak, which if anything shows that this hadith is moving in the books of a hadith. Umar ibn al-Khattab asked once a question when he was Amir al-Mu'mineen. And he asked about, أَيَوَدُّ أَحَدُكُمْ أَن تَكُونَ لَهُ جَنَّةٌ مِّن نَخِيلٍ وَأَعْنَابٍ He said this verse, and he asked about its interpretation. And it's in Al-Baqarah, verse 266. Would you like to have a garden that is full of low tree and grapes? And the verse continues. And he's asking about the interpretation of that verse. And the Sahaba that were at his time as Amir al-Mu'mineen said something that made him angry. They said, Allahu A'lam, Allah knows best. Which means they don't know. So that made him angry. If you don't know, just say it. Umar al-Khattab said, just answer me. Do you know it or you don't know it? Ibn Abbas, who was young, still young at that age, he said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, I think I can say a few words on this verse. Subhanallah. This is the one who stayed only two and a half years with the Rasulullah. said, and look at this manner and humbleness. Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, I think I can say a few words on this verse. Everything in this hadith is fascinating. But what is fascinating and relevant to the course is the statement of Umar al-Khattab that will follow the comment or the statement of Abdullah ibn Abbas. He says, قُلْ يَبْنَ أَخِي وَلَا تُحَقِّرْ نَفْسَكَ And I would like every parent to write this statement with a golden ink and not just to go and sell that golden ink, but to write it and put it in your child's bedroom. Express yourself and don't underestimate yourself. Say and speak your mind and don't belittle yourself. This is exactly what Umar said to Abdullah ibn Abbas. Say it. Tell me. And don't belittle yourself. Don't you think that you are insignificant? Don't you think that you are only a child? Don't you think that you are unable to educate or that you are too young to educate? Tell me. Teach us. Teach Amir al-Mu'mineen and teach those companions who said Allah knows best. What is he doing? He's bringing brave people, responsible people, confident people, intelligent people, people who are proud to be Muslim in the midst of terror, 
people who are proud to be Muslim in the midst of a time where everyone is saying Muslims are terrorists, being proud that I am Muslim and not belittling myself, being proud that I am Muslim and feeling dignified even if bombs from the sky are crushing every single house that is close to my house. This is exactly what Umar al-Khattab was building. But how did Umar al-Khattab say these words? From which spirit? From the spirit of a Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam that was encouraging the children to think and to contemplate and more importantly to express and speak their minds. Another thing that Rasulullah was doing to encourage this confident interaction between the child and society is condoning or encouraging or confirming or agreeing to children engaging in business transactions. Not shoplifting, engaging in business transactions, buying and selling. And I don't want to spend too much time here because I know that in this culture people have to work and people do work at quite a young age to pay for their bills and mobile phones. I'm not going to speak about that. If I was in the Middle East, I would spend much time speaking about the importance of making the child work and become responsible. But just for completeness, let me say this hadith. Rawa Abu Ya'la wa Tabarani an Amr ibn Hurayth anna Rasulullah sallallahu marra bi Abdullah ibn Ja'far. Rasulullah he walked in the street and saw Abdullah ibn Ja'far while he was selling. But selling as a child. And Rasulullah said something that is fascinating. Allahumma barik lahu fi bay'ah. Oh Allah, bless his selling. Bless his business. Oh Allah, bless his business. And Abdullah is listening. What can we get out of this hadith? One is that Rasulullah he's not embarrassed that one of his relatives is selling and buying. This is number one. Yes, he's a Hashemite. Yes, he's a Quraishite. Yes, he belongs to the house of Muhammad Wasallam. But it's a pleasure for him to sell and buy because I want him to become an adult. Number one. Number two, the child himself begins to know how to handle money, how to count them, how to buy and sell and how to bargain and how to negotiate and how to say, no, this is excellent, marketing, all that. But more importantly, this is the third and final item, he interacts with society. He knows this woman living in that house. He knows that this man bought something yesterday and kept the receipt and returned it the following day. And I know that he has two sons and he has one daughter and I know him. And who knows, maybe he could advise them. Who is the one that spread Islam after Rasulullah Wasn't it Abu Bakr? Why? Because he knew every single human being in Mecca and he knew them as a tajir. So why shouldn't Abdullah ibn Ja'far become the Abu Bakr of Medina, but he is in the training process? The other framework, I've spoken about three frameworks. The first framework is building a sociable character through interacting with society, through saying salam, through self-confidence, through buying and selling, through visiting, through sleeping outside your household. And now I'm going to tackle the second framework. And this is the framework that is related with Rasulullah himself befriending children and taking them with him wherever he goes. This is again something that could make the child more sociable. At the outset, it does many things, but at the beginning, it makes you fall in love and increases this bond of love between you and Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And one of the things that it also does, it teaches the child leadership. You are walking with the Prophet ﷺ. You are walking with a political leader. You are walking with a qadi and a judge. You are walking with a father. 
you are walking with the leader of the community. So imagine, you are witnessing that girl that comes and asks about Hajj. You are witnessing that man who is begging and wanting alone. You are witnessing that boy that came and said, Ya Rasulullah, I want to commit adultery. And not only are you witnessing that, you are also witnessing how Rasul Sallallahu deals with that. You witness when does Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi laugh and when he smiles and when he doesn't laugh and smile and when he speaks in a loud voice and when he speaks in a low voice and when he sits and when he stands and when he looks that way or this way. You witness all that. Can you then behave in a way that is not compatible of the way of leaders? So, this is another thing that Rasulullah was doing. The final and the third framework is actually for Rasulullah to create an environment for good company. And this is a point that to me, again, I cannot overstate it. Because I, today the entire course was about parents, 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 parents. But there is a big snake waiting to eat Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein or perhaps your children called bad company. The blocks that you build inside the household might be blown at by a bad companion that he or she met at school or in rallies or in the neighborhood or in the cinema or in a coffee shop or in the internet cafe. He could say, your mother speaks nonsense. Your father doesn't know what he's talking about. Life has changed, things have changed. I'll teach you, I'll tell you. I'll let you educate you. Try this, it won't harm you. No, no, try that, that will make you happy. And he will blow at these blocks. And if the blocks are not cemented well, and if the bridge is weak, you will fall. You will fall. So, Rasulullah wanted to compliment the role of the parents and the murabbi with the role of creating good companions and good companionship. And that's why Rasulullah advocated group plays, playing together under some sort of a friendly supervision. Yes, you are playing together, okay, fine, but I'll just say salamu alaykum from a distance. In the book of Ahmed, Musnad al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Abdullah ibn al-Harith, who's a young boy again, narrates this hadith, he says, Rakana Rasulullah and this is something like doing a race. Rasulullah used to bring Abdullah and Ubaidullah wa Kuthair, three boys who are the sons of Al-Abbas. So Abdullah ibn Abbas, the young boy, Kuthair and Ubaid, they are these beautiful boys that we talked about, anyone who is the son of Al-Abbas. And he would line them up straight as if he is lining them to the salah and Rasulullah then go and stand at a distance and say whoever races and wins and comes to me I will give him a reward I will give him kada wa kada I will give him so and so we don't know what is so and so in your case it might be some sweets it might be a gift it might be a trip to I don't know where but the point the essence is to make them enjoy playing with each other without you taking an integral part in the playing. Why? To me, a psychological reason. To make them feel that I could enjoy myself in the halal way. I could be extremely sweating out of happiness while I'm doing something that Allah is pleased with me. Because it seems, it seems that there is a culture among young people that 
I have to do haram to enjoy myself. And the society makes you and persuades you to think alongside these terms. That you have to have a girlfriend to be happy. You have to live a love story to be happy. You are dead without a love story. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, man kana maytan This who is dead and we resurrected him. Resurrected him with what? With a girl? No, we resurrected him with the Quran. I know that this is not appealing to children, but what I'm saying is that the concepts need to change. I could play football, I could go to the gym, not to impress this girl with my muscles, but because I need to be strong and I need to be healthy. The perception of entertainment has to be changed because there is a perception here in the West that entertainment, for, for the consumer culture to prevail, entertainment has to be linked with desires. Sexual desires for me to consume and continue to consume. What the Rasulullah was doing here is that he was creating a culture that has nothing to do with consumption, rather production and progress and strength and health. Whoever raised to me, I will give him sweet. Yes, there is enjoyment, sweet. But the more and the, the greater enjoyment is for me to play with my brothers. This is the sort of character that a Rasulullah wanted to have. So this is the social dimension, the dimension that starts with advocating and helping and creating a sociable character that Rasulullah himself befriends the children and become a true and serious friend without a barrier or hierarchy between him and them. And the third was to actually step back and allow the children to play together in a halal environment. And I think that there is a decent and there is a positive and promising development in the mosques today where in the mosques they are building gyms and table tennis and snooker and all sorts of things, replacing the culture of railies and bringing it into the mosque. It's unfortunate that children are fascinated with, the, with them for a couple of days, but then they go back to the city center because it's an entire culture. It's not just, we need, I think, to change the entire culture in the mosque, not just to bring some gym material from Argos, and that's it.